Banner's work was very early phase. It wasn't even weapons application. He thought he was working on radiation resistance. I would never have told him what the project really was. But he was so sure of what he was onto that he tested it on himself. And something went very wrong. Or it went very right. Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I am your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 58. The movie we watched this week was The Incredible Hulk, and joining me I have David. Hello. Hello. And coming back is Don, a.k.a. Diddy. How you doing, Don? Howdy, folks. I'm doing well, thank you. Good. So you had not seen this movie before. I had not. I, you know, in my, I, I'm a big nerd and geek, and like most of us, you know, that are in this arena are. And in just for some reason, this one had skipped by, and I never went to see it in the theater, and then just sort of missed it, and then I never, never watched it. Well, you aren't alone um, in not seeing it in the theater. That we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this was, uh, this one didn't do that well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Don't know why. We'll we'll get into that too. Yeah, uh, but David, you had seen this before. I had, but I realized as you know, I was looking it up mid movie. I realized I consistently got it confused with the two thousand three Eric Bana Hulk movie, just called Hulk. Um, and mm-hmm. so I kept thinking, man, I'm liking this movie a lot more than I did the last time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, man, when are they going to do the weird? like area 51 nuclear test scene flashbacks and yeah or the hulk dogs exactly i remember right. hating it and then i realized i was thinking of another movie <laughs> well that that is also something we'll touch on a little bit because i have some theories there but i did see this in the theater um i actually remember the day i went and saw it because i went and did a double feature i saw kung fu panda and this on the same day that is a solid day of movies. It was a solid a... double feature. It was a ton of fun because I knew nothing about Kung Fu Panda going into it. And I loved that. And then I went right into this. And I had seen Iron Man and I loved Iron Man. And, um, you know, I knew enough to know that this wasn't a sequel to the Ang Lee Hulk. So I had high hopes for it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it has its problems, but uh, the director of it was somebody that I had heard of before, and I'd seen some of his movies, so I was excited there. I like Ed Norton, um, and so I was really excited for it. I enjoyed it. Looking back at uh, like the box office and everything for this, man, this movie did not do well. Um, it had a budget of uh, estimated budget of one hundred and fifty million dollars. It did one hundred and thirty-five in the U.S. Um, and $264 million worldwide. It was the lowest-grossing MCU film by probably a hmm. pretty wide margin. That's a little surprising. It uh, kind of is. Especially um, given the context of when it came out. Yeah. Um, right after the two Iron Man movies that had done so well. And being a tie-in movie, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm, I'm pretty surprised that it did 
did that poorly. Yeah, my my only theory is that uh, there were a lot of people that were like David that confused either confused it with or thought it was somehow connected to the Ang Lee Hulk from Oath. Yeah, but I'm just dumb because I have seen both of them at least three times. Look, we know that you're kind of dumb, and that's fine. Like we don't <laughs> hold that against you. However, this was only five years after the Ang Lee movie that this came out because Ang Lee was 2003. This was 2008, so it was close enough, and there had been a lot of talks of, oh, we're going to do a sequel. The sequel is going to be called The Incredible Hulk. And they, I guess, originally wanted Eric Bannon to come back. He said no. They didn't want Ang Lee back. They wanted to go in a different direction. Marvel had gotten the movie rights back, but they didn't have the distribution rights. Universal still owned that. So, And that's partly why there hasn't been a standalone Hulk movie since this one is Universal still holds the distribution rights for any Hulk film that he stars in. So Marvel and Disney don't I probably don't want to give up, you know, that kind of money. And so you get a lot of that. There's there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that goes on um with these movies, but this one in particular because it's the only one in the MCU that Marvel and Disney don't own outright anymore. Um, but I do think that there was a lot of confusion as to how connected this was because even the producer leading up to it, Gail Ann Hurd, had said this is a, what was it? She coined the term requel as in a reboot and a sequel, which that one makes sense, yeah. is a dumb I can, word. I can see that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Ang Lee was more of an origin story. This was, the origin was the opening opening title scroll. Yes, which I liked a lot. I yeah. remember yeah, in the theater like... thinking that. Like, this is a perfect way. We don't need to see the Hulk's origin story again, especially five years later. Sony, we've, if you're listening. We've seen it a lot of times. We, we already know. We know what his, his origin story is. Exactly. How many, how many times in the last 20 years have we seen a Superman or a Spider-Man origin story? Too many. Really? Or, <laughs> Way too many. Or, or Batman. Even, um, Batman, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, dear God, we know his parents were shot. Okay, in an alley. We've seen it. Yeah, we we don't need that anymore. So, you know, other film studios take note. Like, you can condense all that down into an opening title sequence and let that tell a bunch of your story. The first act of this movie is very much a show, don't tell. Um, Yeah. And I like I really enjoyed the opening of this. I thought it was really well done and and didn't fall into that trap of we've got to spend the first hour of the movie telling you all about how this happened. Right. By opening, you're sort of saying uh, up until he leaves Brazil or South America, Central America. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's 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 what I would say is a solid opening act. Then the campus scene with sort of the second half. Yeah. And it's so well paced too. You get, you just get like you get a, a good action set piece. You get good character development, but you get good character development without having to do nothing but exposition. A lot of the exposition exposition is done visually and through actions, and it's really well done. Now, part of that is the script, which the writing credit for this is just Zach Penn. He wrote the script for it, but Ed Norton rewrote a lot of the script. Um, when he was brought on by Marvel, that was part of his contract was he would get to rewrite the script. And apparently he was rewriting scenes up to, you know, like halfway through production. Um, so, and he added a lot of that. He added stuff with like the flower 
and some of the uh, dialogue and some of the stuff in Brazil. And I think that shows it, it just it paced so well. And you get little things like him sitting down with food, learning Portuguese, watching old TV shows to try and figure it out. Makes sense. It's probably stuff that the Bruce Banner character would have seen. So he knows the dialogue already. He can use that to, to learn. Like that's the kind of filmmaking stuff that I love to see is that show don't tell. So many little tidbits in that little scene too oh, about of the shows he was he was scrolling past mm-hmm. yep. um, before he settled on Sesame Street, which was just absolutely hilarious. It was. Um, it's it's but, clever though because you know that very. Sesame Street teaches you one language. I'm sure it would work for any other language. Oh yeah. Now, Don, you probably caught it. I know I did. I don't know if David, you ever watched the old Hulk TV show or not. Oh but God! Yes. Are you so wondering if I recognize Lou Ferrigno? No, part. no, no, no. Awesome. That was. Oh no! That one I was good. I liked yeah. the Lou Ferrigno uh, cameo, and I want to talk about that one in a second. But when he's flipping through the TV channels, one of the shows he comes on is the Courtship of Eddie's Father. Yeah. The woman says, "Mr. Eddie's Father," and then the kid uh-huh. slaps him. That's Bill Bixby. That's Bill Bixby. Yeah. Yep. And Bill Which Bixby played Bruce played Banner yeah. in in the TV show. So they oh, had that, both. No, I did not. Yeah. So they had him. And then later on, you get Ferrigno and his cameo in a Hulk movie. He also did the voice for the Hulk. Um, yeah, I saw that, that he did the uh, voice when he's actually the Hulk. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I love that Bill Bixby. There's also another little uh, nod to the TV show. So they they wanted to distance themselves from the, the Ang Lee Hulk, which was very cerebral and a very different story. So they, I know from reading about it, Zach Penn had talked about wanting to make this feel more like the TV show. Pardon me. So yeah, so, so it's, I thought it was really interesting. The scene they pulled out of that TV show too was the one where he hits them. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was a I, nice touch. Okay, I remember that being on TV, and it was like so shocking back then. Um, I thought it was interesting that that's the scene they picked mm-hmm. to show to show, which was just just lots of little great nods in this movie all over the place yeah you had uh like when he transforms the first thing to go is his eyes turn green they always show that mm-hmm. that was straight out of the tv series um obviously having lou ferrigno uh in the in it at all who as yeah, as a security guard fantastic. and he's great um you had your stan lee cameo which of was course. one of the shorter ones um that i remember yeah. in an mcu but uh i i always like those um but musically, there was one other nod to the the show, and that was, I I picked that up. I didn't. I I was like, oh, I know that tune. Where is that from? Yep. And then it and then it clicked that that was from the original show. Yeah. So when I started the stream, I was playing just the the um, motion picture soundtrack because it was one that actually got released. Um, it's a really good one. But there's a there's a moment where he's in Mexico and they play a little snippet of the Lonely Man theme from the TV series. And this was always the one that would play at the end of the series when he's walking off into the distance. Mm-hmm. And I did capture that just because I love that. So I want to play that real quick. And it's a nice little piece of music, and it was a nice nod because it was put it was. in perfectly. Yeah, and I heard it, and I was like, I know that. Where is that from? And then it was like, It's, oh, it's one yeah, of those compositions that's just oozing emotion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the rest of the music so, was really good. 
so this is one of those things i i wish i would have seen this in 2008 uh, the one because that was one scene in particular where he's in in the thing where it being um ed norton sort of took me out of it because i was i'm so used to mark ruffalo being the hulk right i i it just it there were a couple of times during the movie that it that it took me out it didn't make it bad it just it was just was disconcerting that it was somebody else no i get that Um, i mean it, for me, I, I understand it because I saw this first, and then I saw Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. So and, I and get that. I know a lot of people had the other reaction is when when the MCU movies came out and it wasn't Ed Norton. They were like, ah, "How could you do that?" But for me, it was the other way around because I hadn't seen this. So mm-hmm. that was the one thing that a little bit. But as you can tell, I'm a big. I I really like the Hulk. I, this is one of my favorite comic books back when I was a kid. It was uh, I just. This was one of the things that I really enjoyed. I just couldn't believe I hadn't seen this. Yeah, that is kind of uh, that is kind of crazy. Now, here's an interesting bit of trivia that I read was that Mark Ruffalo was actually Louis Leterrier's first choice for this movie, but Marvel wanted Ed Norton. So Kevin Feige and Avi Arad at the time wanted Ed Norton. They brought him in, and then later replaced him with Mark Ruffalo. How much name recognition would Mark Ruffalo have had? In 2008. Not yeah. as much as Ed Norton, for wasn't, sure. That's what I was thinking. Wasn't there something about Ruffalo didn't get along with somebody? I don't know. I didn't read anything about that. I know that since then, he's gotten along with everybody great. And Ed Norton, I don't want to say burned bridges, but the the working relationship didn't continue. Um, Maybe it was that way. Maybe it was uh, Ed Norton didn't get along with the people that were doing the MCU movies. So... The rumor goes is that Ed Norton, um, he clashed with the producers over the final cut. And as such, the rumor, again, was that he refused to do press for the movie. And I do remember hearing that, yes. He says, no, that's not the case, and, and kind of came out saying, oh, that that's stuff that gets talked about privately and blah, blah, blah. But... Um, he didn't do much press for this uh, in the U.S. He did some internationally, and then when it came to t- time to do the U.S. stuff, he was uh, suddenly doing charity work in Africa. Yeah, go back and see if you can find an interview about this movie with him. I, I could not find anything. Now, usually these people, you know, they do the tour, they go on the mm-hmm. Tonight Show, they go on, you know, whatever. I couldn't find anything. Yeah, he apparently did something uh, with Fallon, I think, uh, or Kimmel, and that was about it. But... I mean, he's good in this. That's the thing. Edward Norton. He's really good in this. Edward Norton is a good actor. And he wrote, he helped to rewrite the script. And he did a great job. I mean, there's moments in this movie where he's really, the the whole thing. So there's the whole kind of melodramatic scene where um, Liv Tyler and her boyfriend, Ty Burrell, they show up at the, at the restaurant. She catches him in the window or in the door. And then when she mm-hmm. goes outside... She goes outside and she's looking for him in the alleyway and he's hiding behind the dumpster. Like that's a, you know, it's an emotional scene yeah, and you believe very. the emotions of that scene. Yeah. Um, I've always liked Ed Norton, but now that Mark Ruffalo has gotten to do the role enough times, I really think he nailed Bruce Banner. 
He did. Yes, I agree. I, I agree. I comparing the two of them, I, I don't know whether it's the familiarity with the MCU movies or what well, if I say that this is an MCU movie, even though it's right. Yeah, this is a little different. Um, I think Ruffalo plays Bruce Banner better than. No, I would agree with than that. Ed Norton did, but I. Th- I think overall the performance. It, this is sort of weird. I think overall the performance of Ed Norton was a little better, in in movie wise. You know the whole, the whole thing. But I think that um, uh, Ruffalo sort of gets that loner, um, you know, outcast scientist bit a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think Norton's a better actor. Let's put it that way. I can't I can't say that I think Norton's a better actor because I love Mark Ruffalo and I've seen him in some stuff that is just like really, really, really good. But he's a different actor and he brought something different. Now, partly, A, he got to work on the writing for this, but also he got a full movie to really sink his teeth into to really develop the character ruffalo unfortunately for the most part plays supporting roles um he got to flesh things out a little more in uh ragnarok and then uh got some good good stuff to do in like uh infinity war and endgame but there's something to norton's performance in this that gives you that like really good feeling of the loneliness that he's going through. He's you can yeah. you, you you believe that he spent five years basically on the run on his own trying to figure this stuff out. Um, and you know, going on the rest of the cast. I mean, Liv Tyler as Betty Ross. Now she is playing Betty Ross, and it's not Jennifer Connelly, who I did enjoy, but I liked Liv Tyler's Betty Ross here because she felt. She felt like a three-dimensional character. She wasn't just there to be arm candy for Bruce. She kind can, of mostly is. But can I she... back up a sec to the banners? Sure, yeah, go sure. for it. Um, one thing I would say, this opposed to Ruffalo, um, this movie felt a lot more visceral and darker than the MCU movies. Mm-hmm. And I think... Edward Norton as an actor is better for that sort of environment than someone like Mark Ruffalo, who definitely sh- shined in the more campy follow-ups. Yeah, he did. Um, I will say That's there's, a good point. Yeah. there's some really good Ruffalo stuff out there uh, if you get a chance to see it. But um, no, you're not wrong. I mean, look. But how much, I'd say, yes, I know Ruffalo's done serious stuff. How much non-serious stuff has Norton done? Yeah, not as much. Norton is a very serious guy, um, right? So that's that's my two cents. No, that that makes perfect sense. I, I get it. Um, so kind of getting back to what I was talking about. So Liv Tyler, um, again, she she is you know she's the love interest, but she's got a little bit more to to go on in this, and I like Liv Tyler. Um, so I thought she was fine as Betty Ross. Uh, I I think her. The way she would stand up to uh, the general, I did like. And yeah, 
I knew the first time I saw this, I knew their dynamic. I knew Betty was Ross's daughter, all of that. But I kind of liked how they didn't just give that away right away. So, you know, they talk about the general and all of this. And, like, you can infer, and if you know already, it plays really well. But at the same time, it's kind of a nice reveal when she screams dad at him when he's in that tank. Yeah, yeah. So sort of to pull him out of it. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's finally yeah, the I thing that triggers. Yeah, I thought she was it. quite good in this. Um, quite believable. You uh, know, and, yeah, and she had the hardest job if she had to do an entire scene with basically no one, just her and a computer-generated right. nine-foot monster. So, <laughs> you yeah. know, that's hard. Uh, Tim Roth as Emil Blonsky, um, the Abomination. I love Tim Roth. Um, I have yet to see him in something that I didn't like him in. He's good in this. I wouldn't call him great, but he's good. Um, yeah, I think this is one of the places where maybe they had to to cut some things because I thought maybe they could have played that character up a little bit more about why he wanted to do. You sort of had to infer from it. Yeah. He just wants to fight. So yeah. I think some of that was the tension with Norton and uh, Marvel because from what I read, his version of it has Emil Blonsky and has the abomination but doesn't um, focus on him as the main villain and has more with uh, Ty Burrell's character of Leonard who is Doc mm-hmm. Samson. Right. Um, and he was I, supposed to... I love to- the- I love the when the generals sort of deals with Samson and leaves and says, "Where did she find these guys?" Like, "Oh wow, two men who care for her like yeah. a lot." <laughs> yeah, supposedly. I wonder, how, I wonder why you don't recognize that. Yeah, and supposedly in the in the quote unquote director's cut, which I don't know if it really exists anywhere, um, it's more of him as like the jealous boyfriend. Um, I wouldn't have liked that. I, liked I didn't. That. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, no, I, I wouldn't. Better this way. I. I because it's believable that he would be concerned and call the general at first and then realize afterwards, oh, that wasn't the right thing to do. And so I liked that. I wish he could have been in it more because, again, this is a cast full of people that I watch in just about anything. Tim Roth, Ty Burrell. Now, this was um, – had Modern Family started in 2008? I think it had, hadn't it? I think it must have been right Oh, yeah, it had to be, right? Right, and that's that's really what kind of blew him up was Modern Family. I mean, he had, yeah. I'd, I'd known of him prior to that. Modern Family started in 2009. Okay, so this oh, is okay. pre-Modern Family, but he's great, and I wish he could have had more in the movie because I think he he brings a lot to it, but the, the couple of scenes that he's in, he's enjoyable. Um, I think he was almost a setup. I, that was, that well, he's totally really setup, seemed yeah. like a setup for the next movie. Uh, oh, just, absolutely. Yeah, and they did that same thing with Tim Blake Nelson and as Samuel yeah. Stearns. Uh, he was in National Treasure too. I'm sure we all remember that. Oh, I do remember that, and he's got about as much screen time in that movie as he. Yeah. In fact, I think he has less in that movie than this one. Yeah, not um, a lot of huge, huge roles for him before Modern Family. No, not really. Um, Apparently, he was in Black Hawk Down. Oh, look at that. Um, Tim Blake Nelson is Samuel Stearns I mentioned um, and again uh, not a big role not a ton of screen time but 
he's one of those people that I love seeing and stuff, and he's great in this. He's he's a lot of fun. He's got a, a really fun, this like kind of manic energy to him, and he's so excited to to do this work. He you know he it's the classic uh, scientist or doctor that doesn't see the forest for the trees, doesn't see what's wrong with what he's doing, just thinks he can he can make it work. Um, and he does a great job with that. He's got you know the the coin flip mimicking and. And just his his energy to want to make this work is great, and it was a good yeah. setup. Yeah. I wish they could have done more in another movie with him and let him fully be the leader. Um, you know, it was a nice. It was nice to see the the blood dripping into the wound on his head and like his his brain expanding there. That was a, a nice little yeah. nod to the comics. I sort of yeah. I, I was just getting ready to say I sort of always take these back to the comics and how well I think the actor captured that person and he he in particular captured um uh captured the the scientist captured that character from the comics really really well it, that was one of the better better performances in in this even though he was on the screen so little plus he had uh he had my favorite noise in the entire movie is right after ed norton gets hit with the trank dart and mm -hmm. It, what's funny is he, he had just said, oh, I think you're just being paranoid. There's a shot. Ed Norton gets hit with a trank dart in the back, and it isn't until he turns and he sees the dart, and then Samuel Stern's response reacts with, ah! <laughs> 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 And I had to, I had to get that because uh, that one was too funny to me. Like, it made me laugh out loud this time. But he's great. Um, William Hurt was General Ross, Thunderbolt Ross. Originally, Sam Elliott wanted to come back and play General Ross. Now, he was by far my favorite part of the Ang Lee Hulk, was Sam Elliott as Ross. That's partly because I love Sam Elliott so, so much. But there's something in the way William Hurt plays him here. Now, he is the only actor that got to come back and actually show up in more MCU stuff later on. His version of Ross in this... He said he wanted to play him like Captain Ahab, and he that's a great way to explain it because he really is a Captain Ahab in this. He's just hell-bent on getting the Hulk and getting Banner back, and he's just a little yeah, a little bit of a screw loose in this one. <laughs> yeah, he, okay. William Hurt is one of my favorite actors. I absolutely love him in just about anything he's ever done. Um, Except maybe Lost in Space. Even lost in space. It was fine. Uh, it was fine. Um, all the way back to Dune, the the TV series that he was in. It just oh, he was I, great I, in Dune. Yeah, I just absolutely love him and everything he does. He nailed this. He was really good. He was the typical general who's you know all about you know protecting the the United States and rah rah and the hell with the you know. Mm -hmm. Everything else that goes on, um, that's all collateral damage to to the mission. Yep. Um, but you can see him waver on that from time to time. And, and and I thought he did a really, really good job again of capturing capturing the character from the comics. Yes. So I mentioned that Sam Elliott was my favorite part of the Hulk uh movie as general ross and i really liked his portrayal of it this was a better version of thunderbolt ross 
Absolutely. Because Thunderbolt yep. Ross is that kind of just he he was always just on the edge of like going too far. And he, he was so focused on it. And that's what you got from William Hurt here. He's so focused on his mission that he can't see he or doesn't care about the collateral damage until he starts to see Blonsky break. And that's when he starts to question things. And then when, you know, you get the whole, oh, the Hulk's loose on the street. That's impossible. And he's looking right at Banner. And he you can see it. You can see his realization of, oh, shit. <laughs> what have I yeah. done? Mm-hmm. And so he gets some redemption at the end of at least kind of coming around. And that's why it was great to then see him, whatever it was, eight years later, show up in Civil War as the, uh, what was it, Secretary of Defense, I think, at that point. And he's something like that, yes. But you know, here he is, comes back, and he's he's much calmer. He's not as Captain Ahab at that point. He's had eight years to sort of realize that, you know, and grow as a person. And if you didn't make that connection, or if you hadn't seen this movie, you only know him from those forward. So, you know, that for me that was a cool thing. Like, oh, it's Ross is back, and then I realized that no, he's the only character from this movie that's made another appearance technically tony stark is in this but whatever that doesn't count yeah, yeah. for two seconds it's yeah um but yeah he's but he's a, great what a great little cameo at the end of it though i mean that scene was fantastic now we know what happened later you know that it was all a ruse and it was just to pull his chain but you know what a great little tidbit at the end of the movie you're talking the end uh, the end scene with in the bar yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so we can talk about that so that's the end credits scene uh that ties it into the mcu fully um is actually the only time that uh that scene happens right at the end of the movie before the credits roll um but you know, there were other tie-ins to the MCU. Nick Fury's name shows up in the opening credit sequence. They talk; they, you see uh, a Shield logo a couple of times. But there's one where they're searching, where they do the search for the email address of the. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's through the Shield network. Yep. Um, there, there, there was yeah, I caught a couple of them. I'm sure there were more. Well, the um, um yeah, they had things like the name of the. When he pulls the super soldier serum out, you get the name of Dr. Uh, oh, Ryan, right. Ryan Heiner or whatever. Um, yeah. Stanley Tucci's character was on there. Yeah. And uh, uh, I saw Stark Industries a couple of times. Yep. Yeah, they made the sonic cannons. Those were cool. Yeah. That So, all right, so there's three big action set pieces in this, right? There's, there's the scene inside the bottling plant in Brazil. There's a whole chase up to it, and then there's like a short break, and then they go into the bottling plant. There's the scene on the campus lawn, and then there's the the scene in New York at the end. Each one is tonally a a lot different, too. If you notice, that first one is shot. It's almost a horror movie. That first transformation, everything's dark. You don't see the Hulk fully for most of it. The way they shoot everything, it's very much like a, a monster movie, horror movie type thing which I thought was great, and it fit that that tone of the opening of the movie. The one in the middle is very much like an action movie because it's all bright. It's in the middle of the day. You get to see, you know, Blonsky running around almost like a proto-Captain America. Um, and it's, 
you get the the big sonic cannons and all that kind of stuff and then the final scene is very much a a monster movie climax type of fight um again some of the horror kind of horror-ish elements of the way they shot stuff but i really liked that and i loved um that middle that middle one with the sonic cannons with him picking up the humvee and like ripping it apart on the on the artwork and all that kind of stuff was that mm-hmm. that whole scene was great yeah great scene i just the i think the first the first set piece while super awesome i think the second piece would have been a lot cooler if they hadn't shown him at all in the first one and they definitely did their best at that but you still saw glimpses of form and shape and size mm-hmm. but i think if the first reveal was was him in the glass walkway coming out of that i think that would have been like a darth maul's got a double-bladed saber moment you know of just ugh. yeah and i i can 100 percent agree with you there they didn't do that because uh leterrier I'm, I'm sure i'm pronouncing his name wrong every time but i don't care uh, he uh he thought that they spent too long not showing the Hulk in the first, in Ang Lee's movie, and he didn't want to fall into that trap. He didn't want to go forty minutes into the movie without seeing him hmm. at all. But you're right. Had they, and there's really only probably one or two shots in that first set piece that you could cut, where there's there's the one where he stares at Blonsky right before he throws the forklift, the high low, and then I think there's maybe one other one. But outside of that. Um, the rest of it, it just the way they shot it, and it's all, you know, it's all in the shadows and like little things like when the Portuguese, when the Brazilian dude kicks him and he grabs his foot and pulls him like into the dark, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and then the that's, next, like that. that's pure horror. Yeah, that's pure monster movie horror. Yeah, yeah, and then the next but, shot of him is him flying across the uh, the whole production floor and slamming into the lawn. Like, oh, that dude's dead. Like, there's no question there. On that, on that note. This is probably one of the most visceral MCU movies, just in terms of violence and mm-hmm. like gore, not gore, but you know what I mean? Just flat out violent. Yeah. yeah like when Blomsky uh, gets kicked into that tree, oh. it's <laughs> disgusting. And then in the New York fight, the Hulk just straight up pulls out Abomination's bones mm-hmm. and stabs and him with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was awesome. In its yeah, it's way. amazing. But oh it's, yeah, Iron Man never did anything like yeah. that. No, and and it fits the Hulk, right? Like that that makes sense. That would be the Hulk. That would be something he would do. So one of the things I read was because uh, they changed the way the Abomination looks for this movie uh, from the comics. Because in the comics, he's got the big ears and all that. And Mm Leterrier wanted the ears. And then he thought about it, and he's like, no, no, because if he has ears like that, the Hulk is going to bite them off. And (laughs) he's like, either we have that, and then we have trouble getting the PG-13 rating, because that's pretty brutal to have him, because that's what he would do. Or the Hulk doesn't do that, and then he looks dumb. Right? Right. So they just changed it. Um, So, So to go back to that scene, I, the one I have one note here uh, about that scene. I thought, actually, I thought this on both of them. I thought the chases lasted just a bit too long. It, I can feel that they ran through a lot of buildings <laughs> to yes. get to that 
bottling plant. It was, I, I thought it just lasted just a, just a little bit too long. And I sort of found myself going, all right, all right, you can get there now. It's fine. <laughs> we got yeah. the point. I, that, yeah, I can see that. I will say this. If you, if you look at, because the cinematography of that stuff, the stuff they actually shot in Brazil is gorgeous. Yeah, it's and gorgeous. It's we watched beautiful. we watched a DVD copy of it, so it was a li- you lose a little bit of that. But man, I'll tell you, seeing that in the theater the first time, those sweeping shots coming up over the favela like that was yeah. were just like almost like, breathtaking. That is so big and so densely packed. If you look, especially at that last shot where it pulls away and you see the whole hillside, it makes sense that the chase went as long as it did. I get what you're saying, though. They could have probably trimmed a little bit here and there. Um, I think the biggest point was just to show, A, that he was getting a lot better at controlling his heart rate mm -hmm. and his emotion, uh, but also how under stress and pressure his control was. Yes. Yeah, and I did like that. He had those couple of moments there where he could stop and catch his breath and you could see his training working. Um, And then all the stuff inside the bottling plant where he turns into Hulk is just awesome. Um, and the, the way he picks up that high low and just chucks it. And then he uses the big bottling plant mechanism thing to bust through the wall and take off. And he wakes up. You wouldn't up. like me when I'm hungry. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great. That's another nod to the show. Um, you know, talking about that, the, the, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry line. Um, mm-hmm. But then, you, so you have like the way that that was set up, the chase, and then the kind of horror-ish set piece. So then the next set piece they have is, like I said, bright, open day, and it's very much action movie. I loved, because this was before Captain America, the first Avenger. So getting to see Blonsky, you know, outrunning people on the, on the field and moving the way that he did and standing up to the Hulk for as long as he did was really cool because we hadn't seen that yet we hadn't seen anything like that and so it gave an idea of because at this point when i saw it in 2008 i knew they were making a captain america movie so it's like oh okay this is probably an idea of what that's going to look like and so that was really cool um you got to see some more tech with the sonic cannons uh, and i love the way he defeats that because they didn't do a thing with the hulk where he gets bigger and stronger when he gets angry but he did get stronger when he would get angry and he was always protective right. of Betty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they had that whole th- moment where he's, he's down and those, those sonic cannons have him pinned and he can't fully hear what's going on, but he can hear her screaming and that triggers him to get just that little bit stronger and he can overcome it. And then he slices the Humvee in half, which was a cool looking effect. And they did a lot of, a lot of that damage was all practical effects. Yeah, a lot of those breaks look really good. Mm-hmm. So I, I also have this this noted here too, that this movie came out in two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. For two thousand and eight, the CGI in this was phenomenal. It was, it was good in today's standards. Yeah. For two thousand and eight, it was just amazing. What the CGI was just unbelievable for a movie that you know is. 12 years old yeah it, and go ahead heavily reliant on that cgi yes as well. yeah right. yeah your whole i mean the character is completely cgi now they did motion capture and they had ed norton do a lot of motion capture uh and and uh tim roth 
and their their whole fight at the end um, was all done on a stage and motion captured and all of that. But they did keyframe for a lot of stuff too. So it was a mix of full motion capture and keyframe animation. The only place where I ever noticed it was some of the work on the Hulk's face looked like keyframe animation. And they that is the place I think where the technology has gotten so much better with the the preceding movies and with Mark, with the the motion capture they can do for the faces now you see so much more of Mark Ruffalo in Hulk than you see of Ed Norton in this Hulk. Oh yeah, you know, you don't see any. Yeah. You don't see any Ed Norton. Um Yeah, definitely. But but you're right. I mean, for 2008, it's phenomenal and it holds up. It still looks good now. The the action sequences look great. And part of that is the amount of practical that they did. So they did a lot of practical for the explosions and the background stuff. And even like the Humvee getting split was actually a practical effect that they dropped a big weight on that Humvee. Um, and then the mix in of the, the CGI that they did was really, really well done. So yeah, I was, I was impressed watching it. I hadn't watched this in a couple of years and I was, I was impressed with how well it held up visually. Um, some of that helps that they did the the entire final scene at night too, right? You can hide a lot at night. You can, you can, yeah. But but still, even even like the day shots of the Hulk and the 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 scene at the the college, the battle, mm-hmm. that stuff was just was was really really good. Yeah, it really was, and you know it's got that um it's got that moment where he where Blonsky stands up to him and he just kicks him. And like it's such a Hulk yeah. moment, mm-hmm. but it, unlike oh, it is. unlike future times where like something like that is almost played for laughs with the way he did it to Loki or what he did to Thor, or, you know those kind of things. This one wasn't necessarily played for laughs, but man, is it brutal! So you just see him ragdoll. And well, uh, yeah, and there were a couple of times where he picked up people and threw them, like like in the uh, bottling plant when he mm-hmm. threw the. A guy, you know, through a couple of glass windows, through a couple of doors and windows, and and a couple of walls, and and against the you know um, the, the wall, know. and the guy just crumples down. That, yeah. That's pretty, pretty, pretty violent stuff. Oh, there was also the dude that fell when they were chasing when he was chasing him across the rooftops um, in the favela, and oh right, yeah, he misses like he goes through the clothing, and oh, like I cringed watching it because he falls face first into that windowsill and down like however what it, whatever it was like two stories and hits like that was brutal and you know reading like the comics and of hulk and the later hulk stuff you know like throwing a guy across the room would be the same as us like flicking a chip crumb mm-hmm. you know six inches or whatever like you're like oh he can probably throw that guy to the moon he's really trying oh yeah all right, so I'm curious now. We've we've all seen Ang Lee's Hulk. We've now all seen this one. We've seen all the the Mark Ruffalo stuff. What do you think of the character design of this Hulk compared to, say, Ruffalo's Hulk? Because one of the things they did with this one was they made him very much um, like they didn't base his look off of a bodybuilder. It was more of like a linebacker but he has like 0% body fat, right? They they felt like the Ang Lee Hulk was too soft and they needed this this Hulk to be 
more uh, sinewy almost um, with the way his muscles moved. And, and, and they've sort of softened him back up slightly with Ruffalo's Hulk. Ruffalo's Hulk's almost more, I almost want to say like not gorilla-like, but kind of that. Like he's, Ruffalo's Hulk is bulkier. Yeah, I was going to say that. Ruffalo's Hulk is probably like 12 feet tall, and this one is maybe eight. He's like eight, eight, nine, nine feet tall, eight, something like that. Nine. Uh, Ruffalo I, Hulk is huge. Yeah, I like this one. It, it, this one, if you thought about it, if 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 it were a real thing, if, if you know, well, you know what I mean. But mm-hmm. if 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 a person, a man, actually grew, that's what they would look like. They wouldn't look like, you know, I don't think they would gain that soft bulk um, that that shows in the later later movies. And I and again, this one looks closer to the comics. Yeah, and they uh, based which, it. I can't remember which um, which comic run they based him off of in this. Um, but yeah, he he definitely looked very comic accurate. Um, what I will say with Ruffalo's Hulk, he reminds me more of, especially not so much the the final like Avengers Endgame Hulk, although he still sort of does. But he he, to my mind, he seems like a power lifter. Like if you ever watch the world's strongest man competitions, yes. those guys are yeah. always just pure bulk. They're not as toned as say this Hulk, but they're just they're just massive. And that's sort of what Ruffalo's Hulk reminds me of. Yeah. And I, I will say something you said earlier about the facial features though. Mm-hmm. The later ones being able to see the the actor that plays Bruce Banner in the Hulk. Yes. Um definitely makes it a little bit more, you know, believable, you know, that that's the person that, that became that creature. Um, Yeah. So in that aspect, the the later ones are a little better, but I actually like the way this one was portrayed better than the later ones. And I thought they did a really good job with um, his movements, uh, looking and feeling realistic. Like they would be the movements of something that size. He didn't move too fast, but he wasn't slow either because the Hulk isn't slow. The um, Hulk's not slow. So I did like that. Um, this this Hulk definitely has a much more comic book appearance. I definitely think the Ruffalo Hulk was aiming more for movie screen, you know, and the MCU did a lot of work trying to make these powers and these abilities that these people have look more like they would look in real life. Mm-hmm. And like the one thing that I've ever thought about Hulk's depictions through all of his stuff is his head's too big. And I know that's a, a, a goofy thing to nitpick, but I thought the Mark Ruffalo Hulk had just better proportions okay, and looked more like just a person scaled up as opposed to a monster. And I know the Hulk sort of rides the line between monster and man, but I think keeping it more man with the Ruffalo Hulk, which was definitely the most human mm-hmm. of the Hulks we've been talking about, um, made a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, in the later movies, there's also a lot, there are already a lot of big, bulky, buff guys that 
they have to make the Hulk look a little bit bigger and a little bit yeah. bulkier and a little bit yeah. stronger. That's true. Um, and then of course you have Lou Ferrigno's Hulk, which is very very different. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. There, interesting story there that I know that they looked at um, Arnold Schwarzenegger for that, but they thought he was too short. Yeah, because Ferrigno is like six five or yeah, something. Yeah, he's like a mountain. He is a monster of a dude. And if Man. you look at him in this, he's got to be almost sixty in this movie. Yeah, and looks he like looks phenomenal. He does. Yeah, and and that just that shot of him where he stands up and it's over his shoulder, and just Norton's reaction of like, uh oh, what did I do? It's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like that they brought him back to do the voice. Now it's interesting because. You know, in, in the Ang Lee Hulk, he barely speaks as Hulk. And in this, he only has a couple of lines. Um, part of the reason for that was from the TV show. Because they, they in the comics, Hulk talks all the time. Like, he's constantly right. talking. And it was nice to see that in Ragnarok, finally. Where just as the Hulk, he got to just talk as the Hulk. Um but the reason for that, a lot of it was the TV series, uh, which is what most people that aren't comic book readers would be familiar with. They had everything doing with the Hulk. A, it's Lou Ferrigno, who is, I think he was born deaf. And so he sounds, you know, when he speaks, he's got that that lisp and the, the way he sounds. But also they shot everything where he is the Hulk in slow motion to create the the look of how strong he could be. So that's partly why the Hulk didn't speak. And that kind of permeated for a long time. So it was nice to, it was nice to see that eventually change in Ragnarok, but he did have a couple of lines in this, not just the Hulk smash, although that one was really good. Um, I actually captured one and it was from right in the beginning of the movie and I loved it. And it's very subtle. It's just him saying, leave me alone. And it's this. You almost, if you're not really paying attention, you could miss that line completely. It's right after they, they throw the grenade uh, in the bottling plant. It's actually funny you played that because Bridget said, oh, it, sound, the, you know, it sounded like he said, leave me alone. He did. Yep. He did <laughs> yeah. say that. He did. Yep, that's what he said. <laughs> um, I, he had that one. He said Hulk smash. And I want to say there's one other thing he said, but I can't remember. Well, he had now. to say Hulk smash at some point. In time. Well, yeah. Sort of I, also, I also think that the not talking could be compared to like Ruffalo Ruffalo and I know in like Endgame he had been Hulk for like 10 years 15 years um whereas Endgame and, well, would have been like nine years but yeah because well, he I came mean, in, in universe because Endgame is 2025 right oh right yeah well right. yes but I don't know I it, a lot of that just stems from Lou Ferrigno not really being able to to sound good and well, I was slow just gonna motion say, I was just gonna say inexperience in universe as the Hulk, not learning. No, no, that could be too. Cause that was one of the things with this that was interesting was they really played up a lot more of the Hulk is Bruce, or at least that's how Betty saw him. And if you go along yeah. later on, you know, there's very distinct difference between Hulk and Bruce. And they, they start to get into the, the stuff from the comics a lot more where Hulk doesn't like puny banner um, until they, right. Can, you know, and that kind of stuff. So that, that I thought was an interesting way to, to go about it with this one with how much Betty sees Bruce 
in there, given that we don't see really Edward Norton at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's good kind of front to back. Um, there was one other cameo that I wanted to mention. Um, and it was right in the beginning of the movie and it was Hicks and Gracie. Um, I don't know if either of you are familiar with the Gracie family and Gracie jujitsu, but oh, the yes guy that's training yeah. him that has the like magical abs, that uh-huh. the abs that do things that abs shouldn't be able to do. Yeah. That's the older brother of Hoist Gracie. Um, oh, I did not catch that at all. That's awesome. And so I love that. Like he's in Brazil and he's learning Brazilian jujitsu. So you learn it from who? One of the Gracies. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I didn't catch that. Well, you know, I, but that's I, a, that's a great, uh, um, so Louis Leterrier, I do want to talk about him as the director. Um, Let's see if you recognize any of these movies, either of you. First of all, are either of you familiar with Louis Leterrier by name? Does that name sound familiar? Uh, a little bit. Um, okay. He did. Um, uh, what was it? What was the the? He just did a series. He he was just get, did a series. Dark Crystal. Yes, thank Age you. Of, I, Age of yeah. Resistance. Yep. Um, so his first feature film was The Transporter. That's a good movie. And he did The Transporter and The Transporter 2. He also did a movie I love and not a lot of people have seen. It's called Unleashed, starring Jet Li and Morgan Freeman and Bob Hoskins. Mm -hmm. It's from 2005. It was originally titled uh, Danny the Dog. And it's it's one of my favorite Jet Li movies, period. Um, It's written by Luc Besson. And if you get a chance to see it, see it. It's really good. But he did that. So I had heard of him prior to this movie getting made. He went on to do uh, Clash of the Titans. Oh, good movie. And then Now You See Me um, and The Brothers Grimsby, which is one I really want to see because that looked funny. Uh, and did a bunch of did nine episodes of Tycoon, which I never saw. And then, yeah, um, Dark Crystal now Age of Resistance. Now You See Me is the Jesse Eisenberg one, right? Yeah, The Magic. Yeah, I like I like that one. Yeah, I mean he's a good director. It it's interesting that Brothers Grimsby 2016 was the last film he did. Um, and he's gone on. Well, I guess I don't know what this is. Liam and Chris Newman, behold. I don't know what that is. Uh, but he moved on to do series. So yeah, Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance. He directed ten episodes of that. Hmm. And, and I didn't I, like the movie, so I have no interest in the show. <laughs> <laughs> I like his oh, his style. He fine. does some good action. Like, he can really film action well. And, I mean, Transporter and Transporter 2. Those are fun, fantastic movies. Those are Definitely great, great movies, so yes. And, and the action scenes in this movie were, were really well done. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. So, yeah, if you get a chance, uh, honestly, go watch Unleashed. It's really cool. Jet Li plays. It was originally titled Danny the Dog because he was um, kind of found as a kid and trained and is essentially a an attack dog for a British mobster. Where, like, if the mobster doesn't get paid what he wants, he takes Danny off his leash, literally unhooks a mm-hmm. collar, and Danny roughs everybody up. And that's kind of how he starts the movie and he ends up getting away from that. And it's like a redemption thing, but it's a really, really good one. I will put that on my list. 
Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to say about this. I love the music in this. Uh, I've touched on that a little bit earlier. Um, the music was really good. I got one more note. Yeah. The uh, a a little moment of brevity in the movie was the um, the cab scene in New York. <laughs> yeah. Was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> it's just you're going. The movie's going along. It's got this, you know, this little bit of dark overtone to it, and and it's going on. All of a sudden, you get this scene right in the middle. It's absolutely hilarious. So it's that has to really good. After they have the talk that the subway would be too <laughs> yes. upsetting. Yeah, yeah that so that is bookended by two of my favorite lines in this movie. I captured both of them, but. Um, yeah, his description of the subway and then they get into the cab and her freaking out about the cab, uh, afterwards, that was great. <laughs> the only other really moment of levity was in the hotel. Um, you had when she tosses him the pair of purple pants yeah. and he holds oh, them up. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, Cause that's where he wore yeah, the comic no. was purple pants. Yep. Yes. And, uh, and then when, uh, they do the, the whole trope subversion of like, oh, we're going to have the mid movie love scene. And it stops halfway through and he's like, I can't get too excited. <laughs> and she's like, not even yeah, a little I thought, excited. I thought depending on your sense of humor, there's a couple more than that. Like when he's in Mexico looking for pants and he holds it up to the larger woman. And oh says, yeah. No, not necessita mas stretchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that was good. And then, you know. uh, and then finally when he falls out of the helicopter and he can't transform. Oh shit. <laughs> so what's great is, Again, if you hadn't seen this movie, you don't realize that that joke was recycled in Thor Ragnarok, really. When he jumps out of the starship, uh, the spaceship, yeah. onto the Rainbow Bridge, he's like, I got this. And then he just hits the bridge and like flops <laughs> before oh, transforming. Like, it's basically that same joke, uh, which I thought was hilarious. But yeah, his, his reaction is so good. His eyes open up. Oh, shit. I, I thought that was... I was reading through the IMD trivia and it, you know, there's the quotes section mm -hmm. and that was listed as a quote. It's just <laughs> Bruce Banner. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, I love that. Um, so now that you've seen this, does this mean you've now seen all of the MCU movies? I've seen all of the MCU okay. movies. And David, I, I still have yet to see either Ant-Man. Oh, I have oh, seen parts of both of them. Right. Oh, you, you need to. There is, especially the first Ant-Man has so many Edgar Wright uh, fingerprints all over it because he had worked on worked on it for so long. Um, yeah, you got to see those. So I do kind of want to get an idea of where you would set this in your MCU as far as like rankings. It's It, it reviewed fairly well. It's got like a 6.7 on IMDb and around that Rotten Tomatoes is like 67%, 70% audience score. Um, you know, we talked about at the beginning, sadly didn't make that much money, um, compared to its budget, which I think is kind of a crying shame. And it gets a little, I feel like it gets a little bit underrated in terms of the MCU. Um, I don't think whether this had been a huge hit or not, um, wouldn't have made a difference for the MCU, but it definitely, I think could have been better received, but where would you, uh, I'll start with David. Where would you kind of put this in? in the, the MCU for you? Upper half, lower half? For me, it's going to be in the lower half, not because it's a bad movie, but because I like other movies more. Okay. And I don't think, 
personally, I don't think it's as good as any other standalone heroes film. Um, the only one I could say for sure I would put it at above um, is Thor Dark World, but just because that was not a good movie. Um, that said, I enjoy it. I just liked more other things more, like even like Iron Man 2. I know that's like the one people love to hate, mm-hmm. but I, rem- I remember that movie came out. I saw it in theaters three times, uh, which is second place for the most times I've seen a movie in theaters. Um, and then I was given an iTunes gift card for my birthday and purchased it for digital download. Nice. And I watched it on my iPod video to and from school. I would watch half of it in the morning <laughs> and half of it in the afternoon. I would say Iron Man 2 is probably one of the movies I have seen the most in my life. Probably in the top five. Okay. So that said, it's on the low end for me, but it's by no means a bad movie. And I mean, to be fair, being on the low end of an MCU list is still a pretty it, good yeah, movie. It's like... It's like if everything's, you know, a seven and up, it's like a seven and a half. Okay. And it's not because it's a bad movie. It's because I like the others more. That's fair. How about you, Don? Well, I, the problem is the MCU movies are so good. I know. Um, <laughs> I mean, everybody knows that Winter Soldier is the best one. But beyond that... Um, so I don't particularly care for the Spider-Man movies. I it just... It, oh, I have not seen Far From Home. They're okay, <laughs> but I don't like him as Spider-Man. I don't... Just something about him turns me off completely. Okay. So I, I would put this one maybe at the top of the bottom half if I had to rate them top to bottom. Um, but I don't think it... Like... Uh, like you say, I, I, it's not a bad movie. Mm. I mean, it's a good movie. It's entertaining. It's well done. It's a good story. Just, you know, unfortunately, the MCU movies are just so good that there are a lot of movies. But, like, yeah, um, Thor Dark World, I mean, that's just not a good movie. I, I shouldn't say it's not a good movie. In the MCU universe, it's not a good movie. Yeah, comparatively. Compare, yeah, comparatively, it's it's not on the same level with the other movies. But I, I I'd probably put it maybe just below middle somewhere. Okay, I'd say that's fair. But I definitely think it's unfair that you don't like Tom Holland as Spider Man. I can't just so, uh, well. So did, we're did, yeah, and then that's this is not an MCU podcast. Right. Well, it, that's disagree. the way everybody is with some character in this universe, right? Some people just, they're just one person that just doesn't click for you. And that's the one for me. Yeah, that's fine. You know, you're entitled to your wrong opinion. I don't, you, you got it right with which is the best one in the series, which is Winter Soldier. You're wrong. You're, you're 100% right there. Um, Before I talk about mine, we do have a little dissension. Phelan's in the chat uh, and she's saying, nope, sorry, it's not. I, I, I take it you didn't like or don't like this version, uh, and or she, Winter Soldier, or maybe maybe that was Winter Soldier. Oh, that could talking be too. about Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier is a great movie on its own. Mm-hmm. Period. Not even having to do with with the MCU. Yeah, I I agree with that. 
for me, I'm kind of the same, uh, sort of in the middle of the pack. I like this better than, um, you know, David, you're right in saying that, like, they're all kind of a seven and up, right? They're all good, solid movies, even the bad ones, even your uh, your Thor The Dark Worlds is universally kind of thought of as not the greatest movie. Um, but comparatively to other films, it's very good. It just it do- doesn't crack the top in, in the MCU. This kind of falls in that middle. I, I put it above um, some other ones just because it, it helped kick things off. Um, okay, it's a great movie, but it's not the top. Well, agree to disagree. Okay, Phelan. Um, but no, I put, uh, I put, you know, things like Winter Soldier, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, the first Avengers. Um, I would put this movie. I liked, uh, like, I liked Captain America, the first Avenger a lot. And I liked it a little bit better than this one. Um, but I would put this above, I would put this above Iron Man two in terms of, of my enjoyment of both is high, but I think this is a, a better story than Iron Man two. I want my board. (laughs) My major problem with Iron Man two was it was, it was a little too much retread of Iron Man. Yeah. Um, it's good, but I felt like they could have gone, uh, good guy scientist becomes the bad guy. And yeah. Yeah. I get what what you're saying with, um, with that, but I, I I just a quick suggestion. I know, Every movie streamer has probably done it, but uh, we could do like a, a non sequenced uh ranking episode where we each present a ranking of all the movies. Oh, yeah, I, I would be up for doing something like that, especially just, in something I like just the have MCU. To watch three movies, and we're good, yeah. <laughs> so, funny thing, I think I have seen almost all of the MCU films in theaters. I know I didn't see either Ant Man in the theater. And I didn't see Thor The Dark World in the theater. And I might have missed I saw Winter... the first Ant-Man in the theater. I did not see the second one. Yeah, I might have missed Winter Soldier in the theater for some reason. Which upsets me greatly. Right. Uh, Iron Man, Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, First Avenger, Avengers, Phase 2, Iron Man 3, Dark World, Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, Phase 3... Civil War, Doctor Strange, Galaxy 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel, Endgame, Far From Home. Okay. I take that back. I did also miss Doctor Strange in the theater, which, man, visually that movie would have been amazing to see on a I saw Doctor Strange IMAX. in the theater. I've seen most of them in the theater. I did not see Thor Ragnarok. Oh, that one um, was... I didn't see this one, obviously. Uh, I didn't see the second Ant-Man. I think the rest of them I've seen in the theater. But just, it's amazing to think that over the last, let's see, Iron Man was 2007? Eight. 2008. Okay, so it was only... It only came out a month before Hulk. That's crazy. Iron Um, Man 2 versus June of 2008. That was Iron Man. Iron Man 2 was after Hulk. Correct. That's two years. Thought it was, but this was a third movie. No, nope, this Iron was the Man second. I I remember this was the second. Yeah, Iron Man Two was oh, twenty ten. Okay. Um, so 
it's amazing to think that over what 12 years and 21 movies now something like that mm. and you can't find one that's that's objectively bad like thor the dark world is on the bottom of most people's lists and it's not movies it's not as though it's a i mean it's imdb rating is a 6.9 out of 10 like yeah it's okay but that's incredible yeah. to have 20 something movies over 12 years and your worst one is like a, a b minus and how many and, billion dollars yeah and see this is this is where i differ from a lot of people i didn't think the first thor movie was that good the first no. thor movie was I would put that in my on my low end as well. Yeah, uh, now, Thor Ragnarok was a was an awesome movie. It was really good. Well, uh, but I didn't think the first Thor was that good. Yeah, so here was my theory when Thor came out because I saw it in the theater and I enjoyed it. Um, but my my thing all along with Thor is he's the most difficult of this first kind of phase of characters to put on the screen and have people relate to him, right? Because Iron Man is a guy. Yes, he's got unlimited money and great technology, but he's still a man in a suit. Captain America right. was a man who became something more. Same thing with the Hulk. He is a man, but they portray, and, and Thor is a demigod. So he's the least relatable right. of any of them. And and on top of that, half the movie takes place in Asgard, which right. that was the first port, you know the first thing to go off Earth. So that was always going to be the toughest one to do. So I get what you're saying. But no, it's just, it just amazes me to have a franchise like that. And because there's, I mean, if you look at like, there's not a lot of other franchises that have as many movies as something like this does because there just weren't these connected universes being made for the longest time. But um, James Bond would be the closest thing I can think of to in terms of number of movies. And there's some, there's some James Bond movies that aren't that do not hold up and are not really very yeah, good. Yeah, there's there's oh, some steamers. Yeah. yeah, there's some bad ones. There's some good. Ones. Some some of that has to do with the people that have played them too. Is this yeah. our first podcast MCU movie? I do believe so. I can't think of another uh, one off the top of my head that we've done. What I one of the things I love is how many tie-ins there is, are between all the movies. Like like this movie and Captain America have so many tie-ins. Mm-hmm. Knowing the Captain America story and knowing the story that you know how they're all interlaced and then and related is it, really really cool. And I think that's one of the things that makes the MCU so great is how it's all tied together. Yeah, they tie the TV shows to the movies and all that kind of stuff. It, it's just a lot of fun. And it's the reason why the DC extended universe stuff that they've been trying to get off the ground hasn't worked in part because of how successful the MCU was. The MCU, I mean, look, they can say all they want. They, obviously, they, they have to make changes and they make some stuff up as they go along, but they had sort of this grand, at least a, a somewhat of an idea, like, okay, if Iron Man does really well, and it did, then we can expand it. We can start doing some more stuff. And as they've gone along, they've been able to integrate so much, and they there's enough work going on to keep that stuff tied together. And sure, there's always going to be kind of stuff that gets left out or you know where is live where is betty ross now where is emil blonsky he was i guess at mm -hmm. one point blonsky was going to be a secondary antagonist in age of ultron but they scrapped that idea you know you have the leaders out there somewhere you've got doc samson out there somewhere um so 
you know, there's stuff like that, but on the whole, like it's just so well tied together and you get all those little things that if you go back, like you watching this for the first time, when I saw this the first time, like, yeah, I seen the name Nick Fury show up, right? I see shield and I know it, but you're seeing it for the first time and you're catching even more of those types of things as like a, Oh yeah, that, Oh yeah, that, because it has meaning now. Right. Yeah. So I didn't even though I, I read the comics when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That dates me a little bit, but still, (laughs) I read the comics as a kid too. (laughs) So you just read them when they were new as a kid. That's all. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Oh, but I do. I did. I read them in my twenties. I just really, really enjoy how well they can integrate all this different stuff and and make it work. Well, that's a, sort of the vision of Stanley and and um, um, crap name just went completely away. I had it and it went away. Anyways, this this is sort of the vision that they had back then. You know, DC didn't do this. They didn't have the tie-ins between Batman and Superman. They're until much, much later when they tried to finagle some way to to make them get together well there's a reason why dc has had to have multiple universe crossover uh yeah events to bring about like bringing everything into continuity because they just didn't do that yeah and marvel did this from the beginning and it was just great yeah and 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 dc just did it wrong which is a real shame the the order was the order was all off and i know it's not like the purest form of you know the the universe but my first real superhero love was uh super friends Mm -hmm. and so yeah dc was my first real exposure to the the superhero genre and watching them muddle it up kind of (laughs) hurt well and the worst part about that is so the MCU got kicked off by Iron Man, which is not a top level, especially at the time, was not a top level comic character. Okay, he didn't uh, he didn't even start off with his own book. He started off in the I think was it Tales to Astonish? I don't remember. It was in yeah. It was, it was like one of those series. Um, yeah. But they basically Marvel bet their franchise on kind of a, C, a B or C level hero that they had. DC has Superman and Batman and the Joker and these like iconic names that have been around for 70 years or more. But also DC is owned by Warner Brothers. So DC didn't have to go out and gather back their um, film rights. They owned all of it already. I think that played against them because Marvel had to, they had to go to Paramount and buy back basically Iron Man and Captain America and Thor they had to do deals with Sony to get Peter Parker in the MCU at all yeah. uh, with Universal for Hulk. And it made them make a better product, in my opinion, and not force things. DC ended up trying too hard to force things in. They did Man of Steel, which I saw. It was okay. It was okay. fine. It was fine. All right. But the follow-up to that has not only does it add Batman – but it adds Wonder Woman and it also tries to add uh, cameos from Flash and Cyborg. And Which one was the follow-up? Batman v Superman. That's right. See, I don't even know. 
<laughs> but you think about that, See? like they're trying that in their second movie. Marvel was able to do two Iron Man movies, a Captain America and a and a Hulk movie. And a Thor and movie. The first Thor. Before, before they, even they teamed mentioned up. Avengers. Before they even mentioned it. Like they, they talked about the Avenger initiative and were setting up a team and they, they were planting the seeds for it, but the characters never interacted for five movies. So they got to build that up. And DC had to play catch up. And on top of that, just some not great movies. Like there's there's been some bad DC movies. Aquaman was good. I did enjoy that. I did enjoy Wonder Woman. Um, I'm looking forward to Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah, it looks good. I thought Wonder Woman was a really good movie. It really it, was. It's just, it, it's just a shame that DC didn't have the vision that the guys from from Marvel did because they could have done those individual movies and then brought the Super Friends in. Because when I was a kid, I watched the Super... I was like, yeah, I watched the Super Friends and that would have been the natural progression. You... You bring all these people in, you do their their individual movies, and then you do Super Friends. And there were so many stories they could have told out of that. Oh, and absolutely. So they just missed it completely. I have a, a greater arching question. Do sure. you think, because I was looking at the the release order of the, the MCU. Mm-hmm. They released Iron Man and Hulk. Uh, and then there was a over two year wait to Iron Man two, which was the next one, which, and Iron Man and Hulk were released within a month of each other. Yeah. Do you think they planned this huge universe, or do you think they released two movies? So I will see how they do, and then we'll go from there. That's exactly what happened because if oh, Iron Man I don't bombs, think, I don't think they went. Oh, let's. Let's start a huge thirty-year initiative of multi of you know how like thirteen-figure billion dollars mm-hmm. movies, and we'll start with everybody's favorite character, Iron Man. Right. No, uh, they they absolutely did not like they like I said they bet the franchise on Iron Man yeah. and Hulk, and what, and it was mostly Iron Man started with Spider character too Spider Man. Oh yeah, if they could have not, started with Spider-Man. Not a big name, not a big name character in in the Marvel universe at all. Right. No, absolutely yeah. not. And and if That's Iron what Man That's I'm saying, they would have started with Spider-Man if they owned him or Captain America. That those would have been the only two. Those would have been the two. Have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, they totally and and you're right. And if Iron Man bombs, we don't have the MCU. If it doesn't do as well. Right. So, no, they did those. And I and, bet you watching the Hulk numbers, they were probably like Maybe. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. But if you look at, okay, so 2008 was Iron Man. When was Avengers? 2012? Avengers was 2012. So, okay, they, were, so... they were probably like, and, if these don't do well, right. it, I bet know, you they made Iron Man 2 with Iron Man 1 money. They were not making it before. Oh, that, absolutely. So they made Iron Man 2 with Iron which, Man 1 which did money. okay. Mm-hmm. And it it well, it did it did bang. I mean, it made a ton of money. Yeah, it did, yeah, it did well. Um, um, then they made um, uh, the um, uh, the Captain America movie, mm-hmm. which also did really well. And then they said, "Oh, hey, We've got this works. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's see how we can uh, 
we can stretch this out for the next 20 years and and yep but if you look at that like okay so 08 to 12 four years they go from one movie to five movies and they have their team up it's the same amount of time between man of steel and justice league man of steel was 2013 justice league was 2017 if justice fools. but if justice league had been the first time that stuff teamed up that would have worked unfortunately 2016 a year earlier was batman v superman and we so, still hadn't had yeah we, we wonder still hadn't had wonder or, woman or aquaman have and, their own standalone movies and cyborg and flash still don't yeah but it wasn't something we could relate to it was it was superman versus batman yeah it wasn't something we could relate to which was justice league it was it was you know them against each other which which yeah. nobody could relate to then they kind of tried to go superman. go ahead batman versus superman also had a huge for people who aren't familiar with the universe had a huge wait they're both good guys why are they fighting exactly what's going on yeah they tried to do too much uh too gritty i think was their their problem as well um Anyway, this sort of devolved into a DC versus Marvel debate. <laughs> and and honestly, like I grew up with Marvel comics because that's what my dad had. So that was my first comics. Which but at the same time, like I grew up with Marvel comics and DC movies cuz Batman and Superman were the only comic book movies really for a long time. Yeah. Yes, there had been a Captain America movie. I did see that. It was terrible. I don't know if either of you have ever seen that one with uh I haven't seen it, but I am aware of it. J.D. Salinger's, it. like, son. I have never seen it. I, it's, I am aware oh, of it. Oh. Wait, J.D. Salinger, like, the yes. writer? Yes, Um What? Yeah, let me find... I, hold on, I gotta pull this up. Hang, hang on a second. Oh, so, I I grew up with DC. I... I, I Same. Very... The, uh, the Hulk was one of the few, and Fantastic Four were one of the the few Marvel comics that I read, but it was all Superman and Batman and Spider-Man or in um, um, Wonder Woman when I was a kid. It was. Yeah. For, for me, it was, it was super friends and the justice league TV. Yeah. And, uh, and Aquaman, Aquaman was a big comic book. If you had asked me, sorry, it's gone. If you had asked me until probably maybe halfway through the MCU, Martian Manhunt, probably would have been my favorite superhero just because of the TV show. Yeah. For me, uh, for me, it would always been a Batman. Uh, I mean, it was my, probably my first comic and yeah, Batman was up there, but Martian man. So Kit London in the chat is asking, why does the fantastic four always fail to do so well? That's a tough one because let somebody worthy do it. Yeah, I mean, part well, of it is because I don't think the casting of the first. So we're we're not going to talk about the Roger Corman nineteen nineties thing because that, that was that doesn't count because that was literally they they made that so that they could re- maintain rights. Whoever owned them at the time, Fox or I don't know who it was, but I didn't think like the casting wasn't terrible in either uh, Fantastic Four attempt. Um, Josh Trank, I don't think was the right person to do the second fan four stick uh, movie because he, I don't, I'm all for like kind of trope subversion. I thought the first two were good. They're the second. They were okay. They were okay. They're not 
yeah, they're, they're missing something. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Um, I hope that the Fantastic Four can do well because that was a comic I read a lot when I, I was young. I, yeah, I don't know if they can. They're gonna have to let some time go before they can recover from how bad. As as bad as Fan Four Stick was, um, I thought it was one of the best on screen depictions of Doctor Doom ever. Well, it was better cool. than the than than the other version of Doctor Doom, but that was one of the things people said a lot of bad stuff about. So I don't know. Um, real quick, I just wanted to touch on uh, Matt Salinger. Matthew Salinger is who played Captain America in 1990. His uh, IMDb portfolio or his photo on IMDb is him in the Captain America suit. He is the son of J.D. Salinger. Wow. Wow. Um, that 1990 Captain America movie, by the way, uh, I have two words for you. Rubber ears. <laughs> his his costume is very comic accurate, but the hood that he wears, the ears on it are rubber because it's not his actual ears poking out of the side. And it's got the wings on it. It's got the movie had Ned Beatty in it and Ronnie Cox. It's, oh boy, it, it is something to say. Uh, Red Skull is in it. Red Skull is Italian in the what? movie. What? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't his whole thing that he's a Nazi? Yeah, no, I know. Um, it's it's not good. Um, all right, I I think we're gonna wrap things up here because I can hear my dog having a freak out upstairs. Um, so he's <laughs> gonna probably need to go outside before. Hey, you had me on, and that tangent <laughs> is the name of the name of the game. No, here. that that's what happens. That's what they say about Matt Salinger. Yeah, he looks like his dad. Holy I know. Well, and what was funny in that movie was they didn't have the technology to make, you know, like uh, a skinny Steve. So instead of him being this tiny little like 98 pound weakling, he is, uh, I think he suffers from polio or something. So he's got like crutches and he can't walk. And then he gets the the serum and he, you know, becomes Captain America because Matt Salinger is six foot four. I have seen this. It's bad. It's really bad. I remember it. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Oh, all right. Well, hey, uh, this was a lot of fun, Don. Thanks for coming on um, and, and helping us get into the MCU for the first time. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, just, just remember, it wouldn't be a conversation about literally any comic book related thing without devolving into Marvel versus DC. This is true. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> it's very, very true. And um now, Don, you have a show you do, you've talked about before on here, but wh- what's the show and where can people find it? Uh, I do uh, a video games podcast called uh, Joystick and Mouse. Um, it's at joystickandmouse.com. And I am Diddy Does Games, and you can find me everywhere at that moniker. And soon to be a show about computer hardware. And, and a soon, <laughs> soon, soon to launch yes, show about computer hardware. <laughs> And David, thanks for being on again. This was uh it's always a pleasure having you on. Uh it was nice to have a movie that you've seen. Uh I've seen movies. I know. At least four. At least. Well, go watch Iron Man 2 again. Um already pulling it up. (laughs) So we do this show every Sunday night, uh 8 p.m. Eastern time here, live streamed at twitch.tv forward slash TV's Travis. Um it's out as a podcast on Wednesdays. Um you can find the podcast at tvstravis.com. We are on iTunes. We are on Google Podcasts. Um, if you do find us on there, if you listen to us there, 
leaving us a review and a rating uh, is super helpful. So if you can do that, uh, we'd love it. Um, next week, I have on one of my America's... No, I don't have a, a, for, a former contestant. It's actually um, the host of America's Next Top Podcaster. Uh, Mr. Brian Ibbett is going to be joining me, and we're going to be talking about Jumanji because he had never seen that before. So The Robin Williams one? Yes. He, okay. he Apparently, he's not seen any Jumanji film. Um, but I haven't seen um, the new ones. I haven't seen the new one. So I've seen one of the new ones, not the second one, and I've seen the Robin Williams one a lot. It's going to be, I believe, one of the first Robin Williams movies we've done on this show. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, come back for that. I can't wait for that one. Um, the week after that, I have uh, Bobby Frankenberger is going to be on. We're going to be talking about Highlander, um, which for me is an, uh, a really good one to do because Highlander was the movie that actually spawned the idea for this entire show. Um, so I'll talk about that a lot Ooh. more. I have not seen Highlander. Highlander. Bobby. I have not seen Highlander. Oh, my goodness. Well, you David, people. maybe you can come back in a couple weeks with us then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen Jumanji, too. So, yeah, uh, join us in the next couple of weeks. Um, I've been doing some uh, some game streaming of old adventure games. I just finished up Return to Zork yesterday. That was a ton of fun. I finally, 30 years later, beat that game, or 27 years or whatever it is. Um, so that was great. Uh, I don't know what I'm playing next, um, but I've been doing those on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays, a couple days a week, just, you know, finding an old point-and-click adventure and playing it. Have um, you done... Um... Shake stick at river. Yes. <laughs> oh man, I can't remember. Manuel Caballero. Oh, What's Grim Fandango. Yeah, have you done that yet? Not yet. No, nope, that's one I'm going right. to definitely do at some point. Um, but yeah, so come on back next week. Um, and uh, until then, enjoy your movies, everybody, and uh, be excellent to each other. This has been wait you haven't seen. imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer ladies and gentlemen the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure and this year we need your help more than ever please join us may 27th through may 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>